I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements. Featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hello and welcome to the All Stats Aren't We review of the Fulham home game and a preview of the Liverpool away game. I'm Darren Driver, the mandatory flattering opening of the podcast. It'll be alright for about 10 minutes and then, and then, and then. And I'm here with Martin Riley. Like Luke Aylin, he's got a lustrous mane. Also like Luke Aylin, he wouldn't be my first choice to mark Mitrovic at a corner. And finally, he's taking a lap of honour that nobody really wants. Shall we applaud? Shall we boo? Dear listener, it's up to you. It's Adam Elliott. How you doing, Adam, buddy? That was one of your best ever intros for me, personally. And I loved it, Darren. And I'm, and I'm doing okay, despite my football team being absolutely abject at the moment. Mm, they, they are indeed abject. Um, and I'm sure that we will find many, many ways to describe how abject they are throughout the course of this podcast. Uh, Martin, how are you doing, brother? Um, I'm doing okay. I've um, fed myself nice and well tonight with a nice lasagna, so I'm, I'm full up and I'm, I'm happy. Food is giving me comfort in this most trying of time, so if my waist size goes up a lot, I put the, the blame squarely at the feet of everyone at Leeds United Football Club. <laughs> That's absolutely reasonable. It is also getting towards winter, isn't it? And it's which is sugar and fat season for me. So um, you know, indeed, that's, that's, what that's all year round for me. Excellent. Well, you know, you're, you're young, Adam. You see, you still need to. <laughs> Hasn't caught. That's yeah. right. You, you can still eat like eight thousand calories a day and have six percent body fat. When you get into your forties, like me, you can't do that. You can't do that. You've got to, you've got to either count your calories or work your ass off or both, and and I'm really not doing either at the moment. Anyway, anyway, let's um, let's do a quick summary of the game we're here to review, which is uh, Leeds United two, Fulham three. So a, quick, a very quick summary: uh, Leeds counter pressed well for the first ten minutes and and actually scored, which is unusual uh, to go one nil up. Um, and that we actually scored just at the point that Fulham was starting to switch the play from side to side effectively and starting to cause Leeds problems. It had a really good chance uh, through Harrison Reed, which had a big, great clearance off the line. Um, after we scored, we gave up two very soft goals from set pieces, um, which Jesse Marsh says are a point of pride for Leeds defensively. I'm yet to really see any evidence of that, but there we go. 
um, which put Fulham um, 2-1 up with the pattern of the game therefore being set that Leeds counter-pressed and occasionally caused Fulham some problems. Fulham variously going over the press or going side to side and moving the press around and being dangerous in uh, transition. Um, a really, quite frankly, absurd third for, uh, third Fulham goal, and I mean absurd from the point of view of Leeds United's defensive structure, um, killed the game off, or lack thereof indeed, um, killed the game off before Leeds made a late uh, consolation goal through a, a good Joffe run and, and, and feed in uh, Crescencio Somerville. And that was uh, just really a long-winded way of me saying that it was much like most of our games uh, this season, uh, give or take. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next several minutes. Um, Martin, you noticed something interesting, uh, some statistical points of interest that you wanted to bring uh, to the start of the podcast, so I'm going to hand over to you, my friend. Yeah, indeed. Um, I was uh, just looking over some things on the Opta, the analyst, and I came across the um, stats for the season so far. Uh, just where it breaks down how teams are attacking, um, how they're performing against Rex G, and all, all that good stuff. Um, there's one thing in particular which I wanted to bring up, which was I know it's not really relevant to our player style as such this next point, but we have the lowest amount of 10, pl- 10 plus pass open play sequences of anyone in the league with only 65 so far across the 11 games we've had so far which is only 5.9 per 90 and additionally the same is true for how many of these sequences end with a shot or touch in the box with only 8 out of these 65 ending with this so maybe not too relevant to our style of play obviously we play more direct so you'd hope that the direct path, the direct ones would hopefully be a bit better however um, the direct attacks which just to give clarity what that means Optus definition of a direct attack is the number of open play sequences that start just inside the team's own half and has at least 50% of movement towards the opposition's goal and ends with a shot or touch in the opposition box and for this one we are only 14th which shows that we're not only bottom for passing sequences for more than 10 passes, we're also below average for direct passing sequences, which, considering the style of play which we're meant to be playing, that is quite worrying. Mm. What does it mean, Adam? What does it mean? Well, first of all, can I just say, um, Martin, your first two appearances on this podcast have been brilliant, and yet again, you are bringing the stats to the podcast called All Stats, aren't we? So, fantastic. Thank you so much for that. Also... (laughs) Does it really surprise us the the first stats with the passing? We don't really have an in possession build up structure. Um, we are more direct. It's just it's, it's the uh, the second stats you've just put, you've listed off there, which are perhaps a little bit surprising, and, and where I would maybe have expected us to be at least average or above, and yet we're fourteenth. So uh, I don't know if I have much to add other than yeah, great, thanks, Martin. <laughs> um, it just it just it just proves how poor everything is at the moment that even our own plan A isn't working as well as it should be. But is that our plan A? That's my question because I th- I think I think it is a good point and and I think it's an interesting statistical thing to bring. But I I don't think it is our plan A. Our plan A is to develop is to create ricochets in the box that we can feed off, isn't it? Or in, in or well, around the box, yeah, or sure. pressing situations. So whilst whilst the, I would expect our direct, pl- I would hope that our direct build up would be more effective and would would be higher up in that position. In actual fact, I think that more or less the, the vast majority of chances that we create are through those counter pressing situations, which wouldn't 
originate just inside our own half. That's that's how I interpret it. I don't I don't know how that sounds to you, Martin. Given you found the found the stat. Yeah, I would agree with that. It, it isn't our plan A to create these direct sequences. However, it should definitely be the plan B. Um, it should be the way that we are looking to create chances outside of counter pressing moments. And yeah, that the article I read didn't have the breakdown of um, how many attacks we had starting from counter-pressing moments. I would imagine that would be quite high. We do have the highest PPDA in the league, so that is one thing which I did notice. So that is so shows that our high-pressing is generating what we want it to generate in that respect. So yeah, but I would have wanted that plan B of the direct attacks being more. <laughs> so absolutely. But, I mean, I, I absolutely agree with that. Adam, you were going to say something before? Yeah, I guess what I was, I was trying to say was that that's the way we get into the positions in order to counter press, isn't it? So that's kind of how I expected us to to sort of formulate attacks per se, I guess. Um, but yeah, I, I know what you're saying, guys. It isn't really our plan. Our plan A is, is counter pressing, which I'm sure we're going to go on to talk about yet again. Uh, maybe <laughs> <laughs> we'll we'll see. We'll see. Okay, uh, let's move on to talk about the the Fulham game uh, in a little bit more detail. Uh, in actual fact. Um, given that all of our games are the same at the moment, um, we, we are going to focus on a mixture of the Fulham, specific, Fulham game specifically and thinking about some of the bigger questions which surround Leeds United at the moment. So the first question falls into that category, so let's move on to the interrogation. The first question uh, in the interrogation is, uh, Adam, I'm going to come to you with this first. Where does this defeat leave Jesse Marsh, Leeds United and the whole project? Well, I'm... Uh point personally where I'm done with it um, we are too one dimensional as we've just touched on there the counter press is the main way that we try to create and build attacks um, but I don't think that's a sustainable model um, in my opinion it, it can be something you do but it isn't something that should be basically your whole identity um, so what I mean by that is we don't make any kind of concerted effort to build out from the back but that's the main way we, we generate chances right um, and that's only working now against the better teams, and that's what we're seeing, where they are basically building out from the back and trying to to actually pass the ball out. And that's where we're having some joy when we we counter press and we sort of aggressively attack the opposition in that in that regard. But any team that's you know worked us out now, and that's the majority at this point, they've worked out that switching the play or putting the ball over the top is the best answer to to getting around us and, and then basically creating chances of their own. And we have no answer to that either. There's so many times now where we're seeing the switches of play which isolate a fullback. Um, but yeah, the, the main issue for me is that it falls on the, the, all of our sort of chances created, but also how we defend first and foremost is by counter-pressing. But if it's bypassed, it leaves the defence, which lacks recovery pace and, and sort of general mobility and speed, really exposed. And and yeah, I don't think it's going to work in the long term. So yeah, um, like I say, kind of pressing is kind of like a tool that you would have uh, in in your arsenal of weapons, but it, it just shouldn't be the the primary philosophy that your football is built on. And, and that is Jesse Marsh's attacking principles, and that's why we're seeing so many issues at the moment, in my opinion. Martin, it seems to me that that Fulham, or you know, because as Adam quite rightly said, there the, the teams that we've really caused problems for this season, Chelsea and Arsenal have both really kind of rigidly stuck to trying to build up from the back because that is their ingrained playing style and that we've been able to cause out some problems. I thought Fulham actually were able to pick their way through us far more often than I would 
want or hope. And it wasn't just by going over or, or around the press. I actually thought they managed to go through us uh, quite a lot. How did you see that? Yeah, I'd agree with that. There were a lot of moments where they did manage to um, get around the press that we were doing um, by playing through it rather than going around it, like you say. Uh, there's quite a few moments where ra- rather than just hitting it long, they were using quick passing from right to left to get it through one particular um, cr- cross, which I, r- I remember, I think it Anthony Robinson, he got he got managed to get free and whipped it in. I think it was that chance which went to Harrison Reed, which was cleared off the line by by Rocco and Cox together. Uh, so yeah, the, those sort of things did happen quite a lot in that game. So you can even see that in some teams, even then, they can manage to pass around easily our press when it's not always in effect greatly. <laughs> Adam says he's done, Martin, and and I think what Adam means by that, and I'm just going to check here, is that Adam would like to see Jesse Marsh down the job centre. Is that is that what you're saying? It is. Yeah. I would like to see a change of manager. Yeah, and so I guess I'd just like to hear hear where where you think this is at the moment, Martin. Uh, yeah, I'd probably be in agreement with Adam. Um, I was wanting the, the Jesse Marsh project to work. Um, for, for, the, for the sake of our football club because if it didn't work we were in a bad position um, but at this point I do think it is time for us to look for a change um, especially with the World Cup break coming up it's an ideal time for us to get a new manager in for them to try to ingrain their playing style and then come to January maybe get a couple of new signs in to help them along with that process so yeah I do think it now it would be time to make that change Yeah and, and I think I think for me like I I think I would be disingenuous if I claimed to have ever really bought into the, the into the Jesse Marsh project. Um, so I'm not going to do that. Um, I have struggled to get along with it from day one, um, and it is it is purely to do with the playing the playing style. I really don't enjoy it, and I want to enjoy watching my team, and I want it to be effective. Um, but anyway, um, Martin, lots of names have been thrown around uh, at the moment. Do you? Either of you care to comment on either, on any of them? And I'm going to start with one uh, here. Um, the the name Sean Dyche has been thrown around in jest. It's been thrown around um, seriously. Um, and what I want you to tell me, Martin, is, dear God, please tell me it's not true because I would have to retire from talking about Leeds United on on podcasts if it were. <laughs> um, I wouldn't think that is a genuine link. Um... I don't think that is likely. For one, I don't think we have a sort of squad which Sean Dyche would be able to work with well. Um, and two, I don't think it's a type of appointment which our board would tend to go for. They have tend to go for riskier options in, in this. Um, Bielsa, even in the championship, that was a risky, risky move, one which paid off massively, of course. And then Jesse Marsh, again, was a risky move. And so I don't think they will likely go for something which is safer, like what Sean Dyche would be a safe option, I believe. I think he probably would be able to keep us up. Uh, I wouldn't doubt that, because it would correct certain things in, in what's been going wrong. But I still think it is a likelihood that we would go for him. No, I, I agree, uh, and I'm very pleased to be able to say that. Adam, I'm going to say, I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be Rads. You're going to be Victor Otto. We're going to, just like in that summer of 2018, when Rads says, look, you can have any coach you want in the world. Who do you want to take this job on? Uh, I'm completely putting you on the spot here because I've not prepped you for this question, um, but I'm going to ask you anyway. And and what I want you to do within that is to talk to me about the, about, you know, about um, about the style. 
what style do you want to see going forward? Um, well, this is the thing. I've criticised Orta in the past because basically he chose Jesse Marsh despite the fact that Marsh's football is kind of not in every aspect, but in, in a very large aspect, completely different and separate from what Bielsa was trying to do. So like you've talked about many times, Darren, like he makes the pitch smaller. He's converges players on the ball, whereas Bielsa likes to make the pitch as big as possible. The only similarity that, that Orta seemingly had and the one that he sort of hangs his hat on is uh, the counter-pressing, the intensity, the, you know, the running that we do is still very much up there among teams in the Premier League. Um, so I, I would still argue that that principle of intensity or, or pressing is absolutely fine. And, and if you want to keep that, that's that's great. But you also need more that comes with that. So the sort of managers that I would look at, are, um, so ones that are a bit more tactically flexible or ones that are perhaps like... Uh, a mixture of of pressing but also uh, a better in possession structure building out from the back so someone that's uh, an up and coming coach that's quite well known now in a lot of tactical spheres is uh, I'm going to butcher this name but I think it's Knudsen and he put, he's the Bodo Glimt manager he has quite a lot of the Bielsa-isms and, and like principles that he he likes to, to have in his own structure um, he's also yeah he's his stock is constantly on the rise and he's going to get snatched up at some point. He was someone that I think was tentatively linked with Brighton a little bit on, on Twitter from what I saw and things like that. So that's the sort of appointment maybe that I would like to see. But also there's other ones like Postacoglu at Celtic. He might be a little bit beyond us now, but he, his next move is going to probably be a big one. But he's, again, someone very tactically flexible, pretty high intensity stuff as well. Um, and then there's other, the other he's, ones he's like Iriola. He? He, he, he is a lot of fun. He's, he's a pretty funny guy in interviews and that would be another fun thing to have I guess I'm kind of getting sick of some of the Marsh stuff where we get we're getting the same sort of lines every week now and it is getting a bit boring so yeah I, I would say that but yeah um Iriola at, at um who's in La Liga um I think it's Rio Vallecano isn't it he's doing really good things um Lopetegui's out of work at the moment so there's there are names out there that I feel like the club might go for but if, if you asked me it'd be someone like Postacoglu or Knutson sorry um I think those would be the sort of names that I would like to see us, us try and get. A, a Sean Dyche would just not make any sense considering the players that we have now. And, and I think there's a few that he would like, like Tyler Adams, Liam Cooper, those sorts of players. But he, he is so far removed from what we're trying to do now, which was even now is removed from what Bielsa had. So I don't know why we'd go in, in such another extremist direction again. I, I think that this needs to be someone whose principles are still based around pressing and intensity, but also maybe has just a better, like I said, on-ball structure. When I said Postacoglu is fun, what I meant is his team is fun to watch, not that I'd like to invite him to a dinner party. Um, just, oh, he's just... also fun in interviews. <laughs> okay. I, right. I was watching one today and it was great. He's just, yeah, he's just really funny. Okay, excellent. Well, that's that's a, that's a nice bonus. Um, anyway, uh, let's move on to, to question two. So question two, um, our defending has become an increasing source of concern for me uh, in recent weeks and some of the defending in this game was nothing short of shambolic why is this happening why why are we suddenly spitting up so many easy chances martin well i think we touched on this in last week's pod um i think a lot of it comes down to the narrowness in defending um so many of the chances which we've had have come from that obviously with the form game obviously two of them were from set piece moments um, the third goal especially um, it was just so, so narrowly defended I mean I think we had about six players around that 
touchline when they was taking the throw in for the third goal, and then it was so easily able to pass the ball around those six players and it stuck through someone in, in loads of space. And um, we allowed this, the shambling corpse of William to score past us in the year of 2022. <laughs> no disrespect to William, but uh, he's in his decline at the moment, and we shouldn't be allowing him to have that much space. And that is primarily down to the way Marsh sets up the defensive part of the game, because we'd like to keep all the players on one side of the pitch to make it easier to win the ball. But if someone from the other teams happens to be just hanging around the other side, then they can be easily passed to without a problem. Which, if we were to split that, make it a bit wider, the way we would defend those moments, I think we may see less of those chances being conceded. Adam, is it just that all of our players crowd around the ball like an under 11s team or is it or is it um is, is there more to it than that is, is there something about our rest defense is there something about is there something about the sort of decisions we make defensively is is there something about players being rash what 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 are the what are the possible explanations have you got well i agree with martin that that is the biggest one where the switches of play uh open up spaces down the sides and, and the narrowness does not help with that but yeah there are other issues as well right so Individual errors don't help. They are hampering us at the moment. Um, Ailing and Melier, maybe the players are feeling the pressure at the moment because they're on a form and things like that. But Ailing and Melier on on Sunday, they didn't crown themselves in glory on the first goal. Rocker in midweek against Leicester didn't crown himself in glory on the first goal there either. So there are issues there. There's also issues with you, you talked about, like um, but we've talked about building up a lot on this podcast. And, and and if you don't have really a proper structure of building up, you leave yourselves more susceptible to pressing uh, to teams that press you high and, and teams that can then force you into mistakes. Um, so that's another issue for me as well. And in transition, we've definitely conceded chances in that r- regard as well. And you mentioned the set pieces. That's that's another big issue for me as well. Um, something you've talked about a lot personally, Darren, is, is the difference between sort of proactive and reactive defenders. And at, at the moment, it feels like we have a particular type of defender for most part. There's a couple that I wouldn't put in that. Um, so I wouldn't put Pascal Strauch in that in that sort of category. But um, if you'd like to talk a little bit about that, that might be your forte. Yeah, so, um, yeah I mean, I, I guess uh, for me, the, the sort of defender that I think is most effective in the Premier League is, is one who's able to 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 read the game and to be um and you know re- rarely needs to make tackles will will be able to jockey the the opposition player into a position where the opposition player makes a mistake and therefore will be able to either pick the ball up from an, an interception or by 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 a block um and yeah as you quite rightly say Pascal Strauch is probably the the best player that we've got in terms of doing that um, he very, you know, he rarely needs to make a tackle. He will, he will always try and move his player into a position where he's where there's less danger, um, and wait, and and wait for that player to make a mistake. However, we do have a number of players, and uh, Liam Cooper, Diego Urente are, are probably the prime examples of it, where they will, will quite often will will try and win the ball back as quick as is humanly possible will often take quite big risks in terms of doing that and end up either making huge fouls like the one that um Liam Cooper made on um who who did he boot up in the air um through through this on Sunday. Um can't remember. I'm thinking about the Palace game. Yeah, well he did it he did it in the Palace game and, and obviously Rente has also made made the same mistake. And also I've noticed Robin Cock has started being more has started behaving in a more uh, 
proactive, uh, more reactive, and and yeah, um, sort of rash way recently. And I don't, I don't think that's actually necessarily a style of defending that suits him. He's always played at his best to me when he was playing under Bielsa as a, as the kind of as the spare man, effectively, and and, and doing doing that that mop up job. Um, so I think I think we are I think we are seeing a number of players, um, and I, th- I think Marsh encourages that. Right, he wants people to be going in and trying to win the ball as quickly as humanly possible. So that's going to play into players like Liam Cooper and um, and Diego Llorente's worst impulses. And I suspect I suspect Rasmus Christensen probably would also fit into that. Although you know he has been relatively okay. So the question really that I'd like to ask as well is. Can can it improve under Marsh? How can we fix it, uh, Adam? Um, yeah, I don't know because, uh, as I said earlier on, I've kind of made my stance clear. I, I feel like this needs to be a complete change in system. Like you just mentioned there, when it comes to sort of proactive and reactive defending, this system definitely lends itself more to reactive defenders. So uh, you need to then rip up the whole system or structure, don't you? And uh, he's never going to do that. His philosophy is his philosophy and it's been well ingrained in him because he's gone through the RB system and I don't think he's just suddenly going to start changing and adapting like someone like Hassan Hutul has done at Southampton where he's slowly become a little bit more possession-based over time. That would help. That's one thing. But I don't think he's going to do it. So how do we fix it? For me, the answer is just change the manager at this point. Martin, at the end of last season, we saw Marsh um, in in games against big teams really can just block, low block uh, in various games and try and get out of try and get out of the game with either a narrow defeat or try and nick a draw. Do you think there's any chance that we'll see him revert to that kind of setup, particularly in some of the games that we've got coming up against bigger teams? I don't think we will. Um, I think we may see a slight shift from it being a total high press to more of a mid-block. I think we may, may see that. We saw that against Arsenal. Uh, it wasn't quite pressing as highly against Arsenal as we were in other teams recently. Um, so I don't think we will see a quite a full-on low block. Um, like we did, I think. I think the one that comes to mind for that one was Man City last last year. He did low, low block it to hell in that game, and obviously it didn't work. <laughs> but it felt like a win. It felt like a win. Um, yeah. So I, I don't think we will see any massive changes to the pressing structure. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Okay, let's move on to some of the listener questions. We've got three three of these. So this one's from a friend of the podcast, Tom. Uh, he says, we probably saw an upside at right back offensively by having, uh, and in build-up by having anything there. Um, but did we see any upside defensively 
Martin? I think, like I said, like I said definitely offensively there was some a bit of an uptick there from what Rasmus was able to offer. Um, but defensively, the, I think it was pretty much the same as what Rasmus was giving previously. Um, I don't think there's any major difference, at least not in open play. Obviously, we know the mistake that he made for the, for their opening goal. That was a big balls up by him. He did, didn't, didn't move quick enough to see the, the run that Mr. Richard was making. I mean, we may know that that was a mismatch to start with anyway. I don't know why Hale, well, Ailing was clear, marking Clearly it was. <laughs> well, I mean, it was the way I saw that, Martin, was that it was just a zone, it was a zonal thing and Mitrovic went to the place in, in that zonal scheme where he had the best chance of winning a free header. I noticed after that that Pascal Strauch was picking up Mitrovic. Uh, well, I think well, I'm not sure. I think I mean, after that point he probably was. Um, what, what I think what Fulham did there, because they had one person run towards the ball as it was being whipped in, which, which pulled one man out with him, but the, the ball wasn't being aimed at the first man who ran out. It was actually being aimed at Mitro, so it was a it was quite a, quite a clever and simple little, little bit of play. But it's not something which should have been catching us out that easily. So yeah, Aylin did still make a mistake, but Pascal maybe would have handled that a bit better, I think. Um, Adam, I've seen a lot of this on Twitter, Facebook, all the all those hell sites that we hang out on, um, where. Um, I see a lot of focus on individual players, their mistakes, you know, Bamford this, Cooper that, Melier this, the other, blah, 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 all the rest of it. Um, and I, I guess I, I have a question that when the team uh, structure is clearly not, or doesn't appear to be really supporting those players to perform well um, and and the players are not playing well, I, I, I want to be clear about that. I'm not saying that I think the players are playing well and this is all uh, just, you know, purely on Marsh. Um how helpful is a play how helpful is it to focus on individual players and individual errors at the moment, do you think? Yeah, I mentioned it in the last question, didn't I? But I, I completely agree with you. I don't think it's helpful at all. because um, that's where I know you're leading with it, it, why what good does it do to pick up players? And also it it gives people a scapegoat, it gives people a reason to say, Oh, Marshall football could work because X player has done this mistake and that's why we lost and it's Bamford, it's Melier, it's Ailing, it's these sorts of names that we got uh, got thrown out on the weekend, and it isn't helpful. And I completely agree with what you're saying. Like the system does not help when it comes to these individuals. I mentioned in the in the previous question the fact that we don't really have a builder out from the back sort of style and philosophy, and and that isn't going to help with individuals when they make errors. When Rocker's on the ball and he makes an error, because the the sort of ultimate and the movements of players are not helping him to find someone so he, he then dallies on the ball and gives it away and things like that yeah okay I think that the system definitely does have a big impact and I agree with you as again like individuals are not playing well but the system isn't helping so people need to become aware of this rather than just literally just digging out every player that makes some simple little error whether it's Bamford missing a one-on-one um, and and for me those chances are are being exaggerated at the moment as well because the system it sort of it's so fast paced and, and moments where you do create something usually come within five seconds, ten seconds of winning the ball back because you want it up up high in the pitch through a counter press. Those sorts of moments that, that Bamford then gets the chance to take, it's not quite the same as when you've practiced something in the training round a million times and you've you've sort of had this really nice possession structure where players are moving around the ball constantly and then it's a nice one two and a pullback and he scores like we saw a lot under Bielsa he's used to those sorts of chances where he's maybe sort of naturally in those positions and he's he's finding spaces and he knows where to move and all of it is sort of 
automatic almost. But now he has to think about his finishes more, maybe. And, and part of it is maybe rustiness or confidence, but also part of it is the chances that are coming to him, in my opinion, are so frantic and, and the game around him is so frenetic that he's not got a lot of time to think about it. Maybe he needs that. And maybe in training, he's, he's sticking more away because patterns of play are a little bit better there and, and things like that. I don't know. But, you know, what you're basically asking me is, is, is the individual performances, are, are they worth talking about in a negative sense? And I don't think they are. And, and yeah, um, so I agree with you. And, and just on Luke Ayling, quickly because uh, i've dug out the actual stats for it in the game on sunday he uh, per, this is per fb ref usually what we go to on this podcast um he had five tackles interceptions and three blocks from a defensive sense um and rasmus christensen over the three games previously so a slightly larger sample size of course had five tackles interceptions for the same amount and had 1.3 blocks so defensively they're largely kind of doing the same um and i don't know if Marsh's hand will then be forced to choose Ailing because he's probably offered a little bit more on the ball. I think he offers a little bit more in terms of angles and things like that. So, um, and building out a little bit when we do actually try, attempt to do it. But yeah, um, uh, per the data, it's, it's largely the same. So yeah. Thank you. And I think the other thing with, with Bamford is that Bamford's clearly not sharp, not sharp and not confident at the moment. And I think that once. Once those two things resolve themselves, he'll start to score. I've always said that if you see one player who stands out in the team as playing poorly, that's probably to do the vagaries of form. But if all of your players look like they're playing poorly, that's tactical. That has to be tactical. Um, because I, I, it's, it would be really unusual that, that all 11 players would suddenly start playing poorly altogether at the same time. I think that's yeah, there's something else going on there. And also quickly on Bamford, um, this whole narrative thing of like a couple of seasons ago, people were talking to him as like the second best option after Kane in the England squad. And now suddenly he's the worst Premier League striker in the league. I've genuinely seen people saying that. And I just don't understand the, those two very opposing arguments. And why is there not like some sort of middle ground? Why is it this sort of season that he's having now and the one that he had a couple of seasons ago when he got 17 goals and eight assists? Why is the answer not actually our bumper's probably going to be somewhere in the middle if he can get back sharp and confident, as you say? And and for some reason, everyone's so reactionary and has to be one or the other. And, and that's what I, frustrates me. Yeah, I agree. Uh, so, Martin, I'm going to come to you with question four and I'm not going to come to Adam and I'm going to come to Adam with question five and not come to you because we are running long. OK, so question four. And, and they're actually two quite opposing points of view. So that's why I'm doing it this way. So Marsh is clearly staying, says Jake. How can his tactics evolve to save the team? It's a tough one. Um, there is some things which he, he could tweak to make it less exposed. Um, I feel his press doesn't need changing massively. The current pressure structure largely does work well when teams are trying to play out. Um, so keep it as it is for against the bigger sides. Um, maybe keep it a bit more of a mid-block rather than a full high press at times. But the main thing that he should try to look at is altering the way that we defend in deeper areas around our own box. After the initial high press has been worked through, we should try to spread the defence out a bit, a little bit more to, to cut out the narrowness, which we have in defence. It may be difficult to implement, but there is a nice long break coming up. So if he is still manager um, throughout the World Cup break, that is something that he could try to work on. But if he will or not, that's another thing altogether. Mm. I said I wasn't going to come to you on this, Adam, but I am uh, because 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 for me there's something in the composition of the front line that 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 I don't think is quite working at the moment. 
Um, what do you think? Um, if you're talking about sort of the way we attack, or are you talking about the, the lineup itself, so like players both, and both, both, really. Right. So there was a there is an issue with Aronson for me because even though he's okay as a number ten, I think we've already seen his best performance and his best run has come as a right winger or whatever you want to call that position in this in this system, and that's where I would like to see him play. The other issue is with the attacking composition. You have Sinistera and Jack Harrison who both prefer to play on the left. They're both better there. Out of the two, we've sort of seen both try on the right and then Aronson out of position. But when you do that, you're then essentially only playing one player in their strongest position. So at the moment, I've had a, a think about this today because I think someone brought it up. I can't remember who it was within the Discord or within the group chat. And um, someone said, I think it might have been Dan actually, he said, would you sell Harrison? Um, if it meant we could sign someone who would maybe suit the system better and you can play Sinister on the left and either Aronson as the number 10 or on the right or a new player on the number 10 or on the right. And for me, that that would make sense. That would maybe make us function a little bit better in attack because at the moment when you're seeing Harrison on the right, it's not effective. When you're seeing Sinister on the right, he has been, but not as effective as he can be on the left. So there's definitely something in that. I agree with you. And, and also just... In sustaining attacks in general, um, this is why I prefer having Bamford on the on the pitch because he does give you that focal point. He's good back to goal. He can run the channels. He can pin defenders back. When he's on the pitch, even if he's missing some of these chances, he's at least giving us a proper presence. Rodrigo likes to drop. He has that tendency to drop into midfield. Bamford actually holds the line and actually like tries to attack the box regularly and his movement is giving us more chances. So for me, the ways to fix that would be to play Bamford and and to essentially play a different sort of three behind the striker, I'd, I'd even like to see Click played as the the ten with Aronson on the right and Sinister on the left at some stage, maybe something like that, just to change it up. But at the moment, Marsh is constantly just his his main change this season has been Click around sort of sixty five to eighty minutes every game, and that's his his go to winning or losing. So uh, he doesn't seem to have the answers, the plan B, the ideas, and and that's why, yeah, um, I I don't necessarily think this could change even though martin has raised some good points about what he could do differently i I just don't see that happening i want to see joe gelhart get more than 10 minutes at the end of the game because that lad is pure vibes and that's what we need in such a limited tactical system in my view anyway um okay question five which is from our friend jamie and this is coming to you first adam and then uh, if Martin's got anything he'd like to add, then do. But are we good enough to stay up with a change of manager? My personal opinion is yes. And there's been quite a bit of talk about this online again um, this this last few days. Um, there are some players that I do worry about a little bit if we were to change to a new, different manager, a different system, because they are pretty much quintessentially Red Bull-style players. You look at someone like Aronson, uh, uh, not Aronson so much, but Adams and Christensen. Um, they are very suited and wedded to that brand of football but others less so I would say so I think you can get a lot out of Sinistera in different systems I think Rocker as a as a pivot as a single or a double pivot could really work well in, in ball progression in that that sort of uh, of system as well um, and they might flourish they might improve even from what they're currently doing and I think Rocker's been pretty good so far so there is definitely upside to be had if we change managers in some players even if there are maybe negatives in others um so yeah that, that, that's something that's that's been bugging me a little bit at the moment is is this whole this number of people that that have this um this sort of opposition to changing managers still because there are there are some and they're quite noisy i would say online um 
they're against the change because of, of a lack of options um, and out there. And also quite a lot of them are, are against change because they just don't think another manager could actually get more out of this team. And that is where I, I really disagree. I think there's there's options in management that, um, that you could poach. And there's also some that are free agents. And there's also... Um, just a lot of upside that I think this squad can have because because personally, and I think we agreed about this over the summer, is that this team, this squad is better than last season. I think the floor of it definitely came up in the summer window, even if we, we failed to recruit a striker and a left back. And I think those are issues. The squad in general is still a little bit stronger. So if people don't think that a different manager could get more out of this team, then I don't know what they're seeing because there's enough talent here to improve us. And, and I definitely think this could be a sort of 12th to 15th-ish place team rather than someone who's 18th in the league. I just love a little bit um, like I said I think most of the players that we've got would be able to work well under other managers and um, we've got a lot of players who could benefit from a manager who emphasises width more uh, especially I think Aronson would uh, shine in a more width based system um, but I do think it would still be a challenge even for a new manager coming in because um, we have already played a lot of winnable games and we've got a lot of tough games to come still. So I do think even for a new manager, it would be difficult. But yeah, that's about all I would add to what Adam said there, really. I think we're in a battle, irrespective of what we choose to do. Um, but I would rather take my chances with, with a new a new manager. OK, um, let's move on to the Liverpool preview. Martin, after you... Mystic Martin, I'm going to start calling you. After you um, uh, described almost perfectly how Fulham were going to play, um, which was good to see uh, as, as I watched the game, how do Liverpool play these days? <laughs> um, well, Liverpool are in a bit of a strange place at the moment. Um, tactically, they play quite similar to the way they always have. They still create chances from wide areas and still employ a high press. Um, however, their shape has been quite different in the last few games. Uh, I think that's mainly down to personnel availability. In fact, in the last two games, I've actually employed a 4 4 2, which is very much unlike um, what Liverpool have done under Klopp for many years. Um, that's only been the last two games, mind you, um, but throughout the season, they've played 4 2 3 1 as well um, before the 4 4 2 came in. Um, but most of the time, it has been their standard 4 3 3. So I didn't notice anything massive different to what everyone knows about the way Liverpool will play. Um, there's still a lot for me knowing there who drops deeper. Um, they've got other players who like to attack the space that he leaves behind. Um, but the thing. I think right back has been a bit of an issue for them since Trent has got injured and they've played Milner there in the last game. So, yeah, there's been a bit of change at Liverpool recently. Mm. Feels to me like they're, um, they're a team in, in, a, in a long transition, really. Um, and it'd be interesting to see where they do end up. I still think they're a very good team, however. Adam, how do you expect Liverpool to approach this game? Um, largely the same. They've been pretty good at home. It's just away from home they've not picked up. Uh, I don't think they've picked up a point, or they picked up a point, but they've not won. I can't remember. Um, but they've basically been still pretty good at Anfield, so I, I don't think it'll be too different. They are probably going to dominate the ball. They've got good players at switching play, which is fantastic to think about for us. Um, you, you think about the likes of um, Alexander Arnold if he plays, but Virgil Van Dijk, Thiago. These are all players with a, a very good long pass in their locker if they want to do it, and, and that sort of thing is going to stress me out to no end but at the same time I don't have a lot of confidence in, in how much we're going to get out of the game because I think Liverpool will dominate the ball and even if it's a change in system again because they have done a bit of 4-4-2 as Mike mentioned but 4-3-3 and 4-2-3-1 I think the personnel are still extremely good even though there are some injuries so um, yeah I think that, that they're going to dominate and 
we're going to have to hope that there's moments we can counter-press or transition. I agree. Uh, what do you expect the um, the structure to be, Martin, for Leeds? Do you think it'll be the the four two three one? Will will it move, will we move to that four three three mid block that we saw against Arsenal? Will we will we just try and board up the goal and go five at the back? You know what what what's it what's it going to look like? Well, it wouldn't surprise me if um, this is a game which Marsh decides to go totally different and go to a free at the back formation. Um, that's something that he did at Leipzig towards the end was go to a free at the back. Um, we did see that at times towards the end of last season as well. So it wouldn't surprise me if that is the change that is made, that we do try to bring more defenders in to try to shore things up. <laughs> um, but I don't think it'd be massively different in the way we press. I think we will still have bodies up there trying to, to win the ball in advanced areas. So I don't think that will change too much now. Mm. Adam, what's the team going to be? It depends. Like you say, there's five at the back. I think that is a possibility for this sort of game. But um, also looking at games against Arsenal and Chelsea where Leeds have probably played their best performances this season, we didn't do that. So maybe he'll just stick with the 4-2-3-1 the again. And if that's the case, I would expect Melee to be in goal. I think right back is going to be a question mark again, but it might be ailing just based on the last game. Um, centre-back pairing of, is it going to be Urente and Cooper? Is it going to be Cock and Cooper? I'm going to go Cock and Cooper because that's what I hope for with Strauch at left back, Rocker and Adams in midfield. If Adams' injury wasn't serious, as mentioned it um, by Martian's press conference, he said it was probably just going to be this game that he missed the Fulham one, so he should be fine for Liverpool, we'll see. Um, and then, even though I, I said earlier I'd like to see Click or, or Gellhart maybe even get a go, yes, that that would be great. I don't think it'll happen. I think it'll be some uh, form of Sinistera, Harrison, Aronson, or some of it will retain his place um, after coming off the bench and scoring, which wouldn't surprise me either. So he might be in for one of those, which would probably likely to be Harrison, I would guess. And then I'm hoping Bamford's up front because, as I mentioned earlier, I think he's the best option we have at the moment in terms of creating chances and keeping the ball in attacking areas. I agree. Um, Martin, how do we manage the many-headed hydra of Liverpool's various attacking threats? Um, pray to whatever god you believe in and hope that god exists um, but no, outside of deities um, it's going to be very tough no matter what, how we decide to try to approach it um, they will try to switch players a lot which will always make things bad for us but we, I think we can try to press in advanced areas among certain players although I do love James Milner with all of my heart he is definitely a weakness we should be looking to try to exploit <laughs> Um and in, but their attackers and managing them, I think we're just going to find it very difficult to do so. Um, there's nothing I could really suggest to try to manage them. Um, try not to make any stupid mistakes, but that's never here nor there. That will just happen whether it, <laughs> we get lucky or not. But yeah, luck is that is one, one thing. Adam, um, I saw a thing by Grace Robertson today which said that Liverpool have given up like an enormous number of big chances, I think maybe the most in the in the division. Um, so wh- where are they going to be vulnerable? How can we hurt them? Um, this is the problem though, isn't it? Like you have so many press-resistant players and, and we try to press them. You, you think about Tyler Adams trying to press Thiago and you know he can just sort of knock it around him or just, just dribble around him with that small turning circle of his. So even though that stat is suggesting that there is... Uh, chances to be had they're probably going to be had in transition and that's against a team with lots and lots of good high quality very technical players who 
can play through a press. And I know we said this against Chelsea and Arsenal as well, but I think Liverpool's an, a different monster entire, in, in its entirety. I think Liverpool and Man City are, are the two teams with the most sort of technically proficient defenders and, and midfielders that can play around that. So if they're to be vulnerable, I would maybe agree with Martin in, in the fullback area. I too love James Milner with all my heart as a resident of Horsforth myself and horses school um and i must get that in there for the discord because i love it <laughs> um but yeah uh, that is definitely a weak spot even though i think he has actually quite impressed in the last couple of games I think against forest he was he was pretty good actually but it is an area where sinister in particular could potentially have some joy especially in transition martin describe what you expect watching this game of football will be like torture <laughs> um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, but with regards to how it will look, uh, Liverpool will dominate the ball. Um, I don't doubt that. Um, I don't think we'll have much of the ball. And if when we do have the ball, they will make our lives very difficult because they have to be very good counter press. And that will be one thing which will cause us trouble. So I don't think we will look to try to build up. I think we will go longer than what we have been doing and not even try to build up. Just hit it long from the goal kicks, even, I think. And I think. They will try to press and they'll maybe they'll evade it, or maybe we'll get a few moments where we, we generate some threatening movements, get towards the box, then mess it up. Um, so yeah, Liverpool score from a well crafted goal, maybe a set piece thrown into there. Maybe we get a consolation goal later in the game, but I don't I don't see it going much different to that. At least this time we won't see Joel Matty running through us because we do man no, marking. He, he won't least run through the centre of the pitch with the ball at his feet, but but he might run through the centre of the pitch if the ball's on the right-hand yeah. side or the left-hand side and all of our players have gone there and just, just find himself in acres of space anyway. Um, where will the game be won or lost, Adam? Uh, if we can counter-press effectively enough to create a few moments in transition to score and if Liverpool will have an off day again as they have had this season but usually like I said they've been away from home but if they have another off day um, and their forwards don't perform the way they we know they are highly capable of doing um, that's probably the best I've got to be honest Darren and it's another one of those I agree with mine where you just sort of pray to whatever god you believe in um, I don't believe in any god um, and I don't believe I don't think I don't generally think that luck is going to happen uh, because I'm a miserable bastard um, so we will I uh, we will be back um, as soon as our bruises have healed uh, from Liverpool giving us um, a bit of a beating up and we will review this game and see what, see what we've got to say about Jesse Marsh and his merry band of men um, but until then um, enjoy the game dear listeners and, and have a great week and the only thing left to do is to say thank you very much Martin thank you very much for having me on and thank you very much Adam thank you very much both of you uh, you always make me feel a little bit better about these games oh, isn't that nice bye everybody
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.